The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Today, data from the Economic and Social Research Institute, the ESRI, reveals a staggering and perhaps still understated portrait of Ireland's gambling problem. It reveals a societal issue that quietly devastates lives and families and mental health. Problem gambling is 10 times more common in Ireland than was previously thought, with one in 30 people having a problem. Own Coin is... Uh, the voice of lived experience and recovery. And Brendan Kelly is Professor of Psychiatry at Trinity College in Dublin, and both are joining me now. Uh, Owen, uh, good morning. Morning, Pat. Now, what do you think of uh, the data, which uh, is new and is quite shocking? Are you surprised? I'm not surprised by it. I was more surprised by the previous uh, data that that was out in in the in the public domain. Uh, I think this is a lot more true to life uh, from I suppose what what I see. Um, I haven't gambled in almost ten years now, but I suppose speaking about it so publicly kind of lends itself to other people maybe confiding in in, in me around around their gambling and. Um, it, it's 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 extremely prevalent, and and the the previous estimations just didn't add up uh, to me by by the amount of people who, who get in contact looking uh, looking for support. Uh, so so it, it, it's it's a lot more true to life, I think. Right. Now tell me what it is that true to life experience. I mean, uh, how much money did you go through? Did you inevitably lose everything all the time or did you have big wins that kept you going and were you preoccupied? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was do you know what, Pat? As funny as it sounds, it was never really about the money. It was more the the rush that we were getting, that I was getting from gambling. Um, I was gambling in my late teens, early 20s when I didn't have a huge income. So, like, I was never, I never had a lot of money to gamble with, but all, the, all of the money that I did have, the, it was predominantly going on gambling, and I was, I was always, you know, borrowing from friends, getting loans, getting overdrafts, and never really marrying the two that I was losing in the bookies, and I never had any money, and I couldn't make sense of it. Now, and uh, those around you, did they suspect at all? No. Not at all. Uh, like, even very, like people very close to me wouldn't have had an idea at all that I had a problem. They would have known that I like to have a bet, that I like to go to the bookies and have a bet on, on soccer or horse racing or whatever it was. But I suppose I was extremely good at hiding it. Um, I was able to, you know, uh, duck and dive the, the losses and, 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 and all of that kind of thing. Um, and I suppose, you know, the thing about it is I could go into the bookies and lose my week's wages and I could walk out and put a smile on my face and pretend everything is okay, which is, I suppose, very different to an awful lot of other addictions. Mm. And uh, that's that's the thing. It, 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 like, it's called the hidden addiction. And we see now, really, from, from this data as to, as to why it is called that. Yeah. Now, uh, you would lose all your money and then you'd uh, be broke for a while and what, borrow a few quid and pay that few quid back with your next pay packet before you started gambling? Because that's the only way I say you could effectively hide it, or you would have been a pariah. People wouldn't have come near you. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It was a lot of ducking and diving, and and you know maybe waiting for the next win to to pay people back, or you know uh, waiting for you know to pay a bill. You might you might go to the bookies and and with a hundred quid in your pocket and think that you could turn it into three hundred quid. 
you know, and, and it didn't. It never really worked out that way. It might work out that way once in 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 every ten times, but it never really, I suppose. Overall, it, it never worked out that way, and it was a vicious circle to be in, and that's that's very, um, I suppose, very common for for people did, who, did, who, who you, are in that situation. Did, did you spend your day thinking about what bets you might put on? Oh, Pat, to be honest with you, it consumed so much of my thoughts towards, especially towards the end of of my gambling before I decided to reach out for help. Um, when I woke up in the morning. I was the first the first thought in my head was how was I going to have a bet? What was I going to have a bet on? How much I was going to spend, how much I could possibly win. When I went into the shower, I went over those things again in my head and it went on like that until I bet until and whether I won or lost. By the time the night time came and I was ready for bed again, I was focused on the next day maybe ruminating on some losses or celebrating some some, you know, rare wins, but it was all consuming Pat, and I think for me that had far, far more lasting damage on on me than than any of the money that i that I lost so what was the turning point? What made you say to yourself, "This is too much. I have to give it up yeah, it was that Pat. It was just the amount of time that I was spending and the amount the, the impact it was having on my life. I felt as though it, it consumed, I'd say, 80% of my thoughts uh, for, for for a period when I started gambling online, especially. Um, I stopped gambling in, in 2014, but I suppose online gambling became a lot more prevalent around um, 2010, around that time. So I started gambling a lot more online around 2012, 2013. And I couldn't escape it. And I wanted to. And I thought, like, I, I used to berate myself telling myself I was stupid, that I couldn't stop, you know, that there was something wrong with me. And eventually, you know, I just came to the realization, this is a problem and it can go two ways. I can keep going until, you know, this rock bottom continues into, you know, trying to find the earth's core or I can hold my hands up, raise the white flag and ask for help. And uh, thankfully, Pat, that's what I did. Um, and, 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 and thankfully, you know, I was able to come out the other side of it. Now, what kind of help um, did you seek? Because I know there's uh, groups like Gamblers Anonymous, uh, working like uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, what kind of help did you get? Yeah, so um, at, at the time when I reached out for help, I was living in the UK, and uh, thankfully there was a charity in the UK called Gamcare, and they provided one-to-one gambling therapy counselling uh, over a 12-week period. Um, for for one hour sessions for, for twelve weeks, so that was my initial um my initial recovery. That's where it started, and uh, I found it extremely beneficial. Uh, I never uh, sought out um, Gamblers Anonymous after that because I found that the the one to one therapy was so so good for me. But I know of others who do use Gamblers Anonymous and, you know, find find it uh, extremely beneficial. So I think it's it's not a one uh, one hat fits all. Um, it's it's kind of like whatever whatever works for you, you go with it, you know. And and I think you know, for I was lucky that the first thing I tried uh, worked out for me. Now, what would you recommend in terms of uh, changes to our rules and regulations? Because. You know, lots of people like to have uh, the occasional bet on the Grand National or Cheltenham or whatever, and they might never darken the door of a bookie shop or go online outside of those occasions. 
absolutely. And that's 100% fine. And I get that. You know, I know of people who might have a bed on Cheltenham or the Grand National and they could have a, a bedding docket in their pocket for six months before they collect it. And now I can't understand that, but or I can't I can't make sense of that. But, you know, I do understand that there are people who are like that. But there are a significant amount of people who do fall into the same category as me or as, you know, the one in 30 people that we have in Ireland. And I think what needs to happen is, OK, we've appointed a, a regulator now. That regulator has, has yet to take up her office. But the gambling industry has basically self-regulated for the last 100 years or however long it has existed. There's been very little, um, I suppose, rules or regulations applied to them in Ireland and across in the UK where, you know, we're, we're very heavily linked in terms of sporting events and stuff uh, and, and advertising. But I think there are, it's, it's multifaceted and, and, and there are an awful lot of things that need to change. I think the first thing is we need a complete ban on gambling advertising because gambling advertising is absolutely everywhere you turn in Ireland. It's on TV, it's on your phone, it's when you walk down the street on a billboard, you buy a football jersey, it's on I think almost 50% of Premier League teams have a betting sponsor on, on their football jersey. And I know that's not something we can change in Ireland, but, you know, we need to we need to lead here. There are teams in, in the League of Ireland who do have gambling, um, uh, gambling, gambling operators on their jerseys, and we need a complete ban on that. Like the GEA recently um, have banned all gambling advertising across their association, but this needs to be regulated by our our legislators and by the people who make the rules. Not It shouldn't be self-regulating. All right. Oh, um, as well, you know. Your your experience is very telling, and thank you very much for sharing it with us, Own Coin, who's a recumbling, uh, recovering gambling addict. Uh, the National Helpline for Gambling Care is 1-800-936-725, 1-800-936-725. And, of course, uh, if you're troubled by that conversation, the Samaritans are always there, 116123. Uh, Brendan Kelly, Professor Brendan Kelly, listening to that conversation. Brendan, good morning. Good morning. So why do some people become gambling addicts and others can have the occasional flutter and then leave it alone? Well, it's exceptionally uh, difficult to, to know, Pat. But what's interesting about this ESRI study is it did uh, separate out. It said that three quarters of adults spend money on at least one form of gambling. And this might be the occasional scratch card um, or, you know, the occasional uh, bet on the Cheltenham or the Grand National but it went on to define problem gambling and found this higher estimate than previously at about one in 30 in the population. And this is the population that spends, the group that spends a lot of money on gambling, is preoccupied with it, restless about it, trying to chase losses and borrowing as Owen so clearly described. So there is this difference. And it's very difficult to know why why someone moves those extra steps into the problem gambling category necessarily. Now, Owen realised himself that he had a problem and uh, took action Uh, Do you believe that most problem gamblers actually know I have an issue here? Well, again, the ESRI study shows that two thirds of problem gamblers want to stop. They have an awareness that this is problematic. Maybe they're prioritizing it over relationships or education or work, and they're clearly losing money. So there is some awareness. So I think one of the key messages is to get a public health 
message out there, if you like, to compete with the gambling advertising that is so prevalent. And um, to say to that two thirds of people who have an awareness, look, there are th- th- things you can do. There are steps you can take in order to try and address this in your life. And also, if family members or friends or co-workers do notice, it is important to listen to them because they might be able to perceive things you can't. Yeah. Now, what about those around a problem gambler? Uh, Owen was describing how good he was at disguising it, ducking and diving, borrowing a few quid here, a few quid there, paying it back, then losing everything in the the, the bookie shop. Um, How can people around problem gamblers know that their loved one has a problem? Well, sometimes it is not visible. So if it comes to you as a surprise in a family member, you know, don't feel too bad because there are a lot of ducking and diving can go on. But if you have a family member who is constantly planning gambling activities, maybe spending more money that they can't explain, maybe large amounts of time that they can't account for, spent either online or in a booking office, or particularly people who are trying to escape problems or use gambling to manage their emotions all of the time, or of course, lying to family members. It is quite common for people to think their lies to family members are not noticed, but mostly they they are. So if you are a family member, it is important to open up a space for a conversation, remembering that, you know, the person who's gambling might not be ready to admit it. It might take a number of conversations before the true story starts to come to light. Um, Going to someone for help. I mean, can GPs help or are they put to the pin of their collars doing the normal medical stuff and might not want any truck with this? The first step is indeed to talk to someone in your family or a friend and then to speak to a GP who can guide to various resources that are there. The HSE website also has some good information about gambling compulsion and gambling addiction, and it directs people to gamblingcare.ie, which is another uh, resource website the HSE directs people to. Also, as you mentioned, Pat, there is Gamblers Anonymous and spunout.ie, that's S-P-U-N-O-U-T dot I-E, also has a section on getting help for a gambling addiction. But the very first step is to talk to a family member, a friend or a GP, and GPs are very well positioned to guide people to the supports that are available. Now, uh, Owen talked about the relief when he finally admits it to himself and he goes and gets this one-to-one help. Uh, That business of it being a secret addiction and not sharing it with people, what is the effect, uh, as you might have discovered it, of people finally owning up and talking to someone about it? What is the effect on them? Well, it's very, very interesting because there is this additional sense of shame with what's either called gambling addiction or in the US, they tend to call it compulsive gambling to try and make it, uh, you know, more like a compulsive disorder rather than an addiction. But by sharing it, that shame is largely relieved and people are surprised by the degree of understanding they get from family and friends, many of whom have had some contact with this or maybe understand it to a degree. So alleviating that sense of shame is so important. And also, if you are the family member or friend, being aware that this conversation is difficult for the person who has the gambling, and it will likely be an ongoing conversation. But it is an exceptionally important one in order to get people to change their behaviours. Well, look, uh, it's a terrible affliction when it gets to people, you know, you can lose the house much more quickly with a 
gambling addiction than you can with an alcoholic addiction. Brendan Kelly, Professor of Psychiatry at Trinity College in Dublin. Thank you. And before that, Owen Coyne, a recovering gambling addict. Uh, thanks to him for joining us. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.